Uh, we will be in continuing in the book of Revelation. Uh, we are nearing the end, and uh, we're going to see once again. Uh, I think this is uh, kind of one one of the climactic visions of Christ that is found throughout Revelation. So last week we saw the the fall of Babylon and the wedding supper of the Lamb, as Steve called it, uh, a funeral and a wedding the destruction of Lady Babylon and the, the beauty of the bride finally with her bridegroom, the church with Christ. Now today, today we're seeing a, a vision of Christ. We've already seen Christ once in the beginning of the book and now we get this final picture of him riding in on a white horse. All right. Now, as I, as I think of this, uh, I think we can have trouble emotionally connecting with this because it's, uh, it's, it's very intense. All right. So I'm trying to think of that. The best, the best parallel that I could get to it uh, was, and I feel like I'm, I'm stealing this from, from Steve, but uh, we're going to Lord of the Rings. All right. <laughs> so Lord of the Rings. All right. Who is the Christ figure in Lord of the Rings? No. <laughs> There's another one, actually. There's Gandalf. Gandalf. All right. All right. So. All right. Now we have to get get in the mood for this. All right. So this passage only makes sense if if it's really dark. All right. So think of of Helm's Deep. All right. Do you remember Helm's Deep? All right. So the city is, is they've walled themselves off against the armies of Saruman and like the orcs, the orcai are like just descending upon them. As far as you can see is is death and destruction coming for them. And as they're standing there, it starts to rain. And it just becomes mud and death and destruction. And they're getting pulverized. All right, these monsters are just destroying the last stronghold of men. And they all decide, okay, like, we are going to die here. Should we give up? Should we, should we just kind of throw in throw the white flag out and be destroyed? Or should we continue to fight? And what is, the, what is their last hope? Their last hope is this Christ figure, Gandalf riding in on the white horse. And as they, they all descend into darkness, there's this spot on the hill, him standing. All right, I don't cry in movies. I never cry in movies, except right there. <laughs> when he shows up and you're like, Christ figure, and, and like, all right, if he showed up any other time, I wouldn't cry. But it's because of like the, the darkness and the destruction and the evil and the death that he shows up and like hope has come. The light has dawned. All right, now that's what we need to see in this passage. I don't want us to see this as a, as Christ is a scary figure. Like, why, why is he such, so terrible? No, he's, he's our deliverer. He's our great triumphant savior. And if we are in the battle, if we are in the trenches, then we want him. We want him riding in as he does. All right. So we're going to see a, a vision of Jesus. We're going to see him as the, the warrior judge. A different picture than we often see him. We're going to see a supper of death. 
a feast of death, the death of, of evil and wickedness. And finally, we're going to see Christ's judgment of the last of the two beasts and his followers. All right. And we, we need this vision. We need this vision so that we be reminded of the spiritual war that we are waging so that we are reminded of the great hope that we have in the midst of darkness and that we might have this full picture of who Christ is for us. All right. So let's pray as we jump into the text. Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us uh, this penultimate battle, the triumph of Christ, that you have filled out our images of him. Father, we ask that, uh, that we might have a full-orbed and robust view of who Christ is and what he comes to do. Lord, that we might look to him in our, our fear and our doubt and our despair, that we might know him in all of his glory as he is revealed in this passage. Father, would you help us uh, to continue the fight, to, uh, to be perseverant, knowing that our, our victory is found in Christ alone. We pray this in his name. So let's read uh, verses 11 through 16 here of chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His, ours, uh, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. So the heavens, the heavens open up and God comes down. Now we recall Isaiah, he, he, he calls out this very same thing. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil you make your name known to your adversaries and the nations might tremble at your presence. They've been calling for God to come down. To open up the heavens and descend and here he is. Here he is, the rider on the white horse. All right, and this is not our Palm Sunday, humble Jesus riding in on a donkey, the, the peaceful king. Now, this is the warrior king. The warrior king who comes to do battle with seven-headed beasts. This is who we need for that battle. And he is holy, and he is righteous, and he is pure, and he comes to be justice and to wipe clean all evil. All right, so let's look at, look at how he's described here. He's described as faithful and true. 
faithful and true. God. God is faithful and true in Jesus Christ. He has made all of his promises that he will bring justice, that he will destroy evil, to wait just a little bit longer. And in Christ, in this Christ, faithful and true, he keeps all of those promises. He is the faithfulness of God manifest. He is the truth of God manifest. And he's a faithful and true judge who knows all, who has all power and who can perfectly restore and make right. That is who comes riding in. We think of Revelation 16.10. I saw under the altar the souls of those those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. This is the collective cry of the church. Like there is injustice. When are you going to act? When are you going to do something? God is faithful and true to answer his people, to respond to the injustice, to respond to persecution, to respond to the suffering. He responds in Christ. As we think of Jesus, right, do we call him by that name, faithful and true? Do you trust him to be faithful and to be true? Do you look to him to be faithful and true? Or do you have to take things into your own hands? Do you have to, have to take up your own battles? Or will he keep his promises? Here is the faithful and true one. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. No, his eyes are ablaze. He has seen. He has seen it all. And the fire of judgment burns in his eyes as he has beheld the persecution and death and suffering of his people. That as the beast and the false prophet and the nations have have gathered against his bride, he has seen it. And he knows it and he cares and he he has witnessed it and he has come to bring justice for it. As we think about, as we think about the things that you, you have experienced, do you believe that Christ has seen them? That he cares and he, he burns with anger for the things that are unjust and wrong and wicked. Now, I know there are things that, like, insults that you could never explain to someone, but you felt, or... There are sufferings that you feel like can never be made right or injustices that could never be put back. All right, Christ has seen those things. He has seen them and he cares. In his great sovereignty, it's not just a sovereignty that, that is aloof. No, he, he, he burns for the things that hurt his people, for the suffering of his people. And he comes to make it right. Then 
Okay, we could say, okay, he, he has great compassion, right, but he also has great power. We've seen lots of, lots of talk of crowns, right? Diadems. The beast had seven of them. Some had ten. All right. Jesus, he just has many. All right, we're not counting them. We don't need to play that game. All right, we have a lot. He has ultimate sovereignty. He has ultimate power. His power is measurable. His rule is real. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. All right. Revelation is into crowns and it's into names. Some of the names we've seen the mysterious name of Lady Babylon. We've seen the blasphemous names on the beasts. We've seen the the mark of the beast written across the forehead. Now, why, why does Jesus have a name that only he knows. Right. All right. In ancient Near Eastern culture, all right, so we're stepping into that for a little bit. Uh, to give something a name and to know its name is, in some sense, to, to understand it, to put it in its place, maybe even to possess it and control it. And that's where there's such a remarkable thing. When, when God reveals his name, Yahweh, to his people, He's, he's giving them a piece of himself. He's saying, like, you, you now know my name. I am now your God. You can take me upon your lips. I'm covenanting with you. I'm now yours and, and you are mine. Uh, ironically, this is the opposite of that. Jesus is saying that, you know, this picture of Jesus is, is showing us that there's a sense in which Jesus is still he is ungraspable, untamable, unpossessable. He rules. And no one, no one will possess him or control him or rule him. He is beyond every enemy. They will never know his name. They will never know him truly. They cannot grasp him or wrap their heads around him. No one can. All right, there's a reason that heaven doesn't get boring. is because there is this aspect to God that he's incomprehensible and that we will plumb the, the depth of his glory and his power for all eternity. But he's reminding them here. I'm beyond. Beyond your comprehension, beyond your power, beyond the powers of evil. Do you know this Jesus? Or has become too, too, too simple, too friendly, too incarnate to still have this aspect to himself? Utter sovereign power, utter incomprehensibility. That is our king. Verse 13, he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Right, this, is, this is a hard picture. Later it says, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. All right. There is blood on Christ's robes from the trampling of evil that the blood has splattered 
and sprinkled upon his robes as he rides out against his enemies. He is treading the winepress of the wrath of God's fury. We think of way back when the promise of an offspring that would crush the serpent's head. This is Jesus crushing the serpent, the beasts who serve that great serpent and all of his followers. They're being crushed by this great judge. We're reminded of of the blood of Christ. All right, we have two options. We are either sprinkled with the blood of Christ and washed clean, or Christ is sprinkled with our blood in judgment. There are only two groups of people whose blood will be spilled, who will be judged. Whose blood do you want it to be? Yours or his? He is the word of God. He is the word of God. All right, so this is the same word through which God created all things, the the instrument by which all things were created in six days. He is the instrument of God's creative power. He's the instrument of his his rule and his might. And when God talks about judging the world through his word, that we'll stand according to his word, it's not this impersonal thing, it's personal. The word is Christ. You either receive the word of God or you deny the word of God. You hear the word or you do not listen. It all depends upon Christ. The person of Christ the word of God in person. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword from which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. All right, let's try to make this make sense to you. Uh, all right. There's different kinds of superheroes. All right, and they, they each have their own, their own speciality, okay? So maybe, maybe they can control fire. They're the the fire superhero. Maybe they're shooting electricity. They're electricity-based. All right, we have spider-based, bat-based. All right, what kind of superhero is Jesus? Jesus is the word superhero. All right, it's word-based. All right, so he is the word. And because he is the word of God, his word is is his power. All right, he speaks and it is so. How does he change people? He changes people by by his word, by speaking to them and telling them what is true. And when he goes to judge the world, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword. His words cut down and destroy just like they created in six days. And so what Jesus says of every person becomes reality. We think, okay, are we going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Others hear, I I did not know you. 
Be gone from me, you workers of lawlessness. All right. And with a word, you are either saved or struck down by the one who is the word of God. We hear the word of God by receiving Christ, the word of God, through the word, the scriptures, the Bible, the word of God. Now, I want to remind you, this is not supposed to be a scary passage. This is not a scary passage. The scary part of this of, of Revelation was supposed to be the, the beasts, the beasts who are seeking to devour you, the, the false prophet who is seeking to deceive you, Lady Babylon with seeking to, to draw you away from Christ. All right, that is, that is, those are the monsters. Those are the scary things. All right, this is Jesus riding in on the white horse. When we read this, we are not supposed to say, oh, I... I'm terrified of Christ. No, we cheer. We cheer that this is the one who is now on our side, who comes to destroy evil and destroy wickedness, and who has already covered us by his blood. We do not need to fear. These judgments have been satisfied by the blood of Christ. We do not fear them if you've put your faith in him. We rejoice. That in the midst of the battle and in the midst of the decay, in the midst of the darkness, we have this one who promises to come. We take great joy in this Jesus. And there are so many Jesuses, like there's a, he has such facets. And when you're in the midst of the battle, you don't need baby Jesus in the manger. Not helpful. Or you might think of the, the compassionate Jesus who is healing and who is who's welcoming the little children. All right, you don't need him now. Or you have Jesus on the cross. We don't need him then. Sometimes you need the, the rider on the white horse who will actually destroy evil in the very end who will fight for you in the midst of fear and discouragement and despair. Do you have that Jesus? Do you know him? Please don't throw off this Jesus because he's scary or because he seems far away. No, he is, he is the Jesus you need. You don't get to choose. He's one. Don't pick your favorite. Pick all of them and have this full or picture of who Christ is. So you might have great hope. So you might know that, yes, darkness may stand for a while, but, but the light dawns in Christ. Now, as we continue, uh, Last week, we saw the marriage supper of the lamb. A meal provided by Christ. Well, they'll take a picture of it. We'll enact it later in the service. Christ says that he, he 
He will not eat, drink of the cup again until the wedding supper of the lamb. He is the one who provides this meal. We, we partake of him. We are united to him. We are wed to him. And we saw that last week. And now we see what happens to those who do not go to the wedding feast, the supper of the lamb. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat of the flesh of Kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. The birds of heaven are called to come and feast. Feast upon the flesh of all of the enemies of God. And we see that suddenly this, this, this fake world that has made great distinctions between the kings and the poor and the slaves and the rich. All right. They all, all leveled flat as all of them become what they become food for the birds. This is a picture from Ezekiel 39. But all right. Why? Why this picture? Are we okay with it? Do they deserve? Do they deserve the judgment that has come upon them? And that's where once again we have to you have to get back into what the reality is. This is spiritual warfare. This is the nations that have set themselves up against God. This is the people who have rejected him, who have hated him and despised him. But even more, think, remember Lady Babylon? What does she hold in her hand? The blood of the saints. And she's getting drunk from their blood. We saw the beast. What were the beasts trying to do? They were trying to devour the saints. All right. The enemies of God. They're set against the church. They're set against the kingdom of God. And they're seeking to consume them. In our culture, I think it's difficult to really feel that. All right. In some cultures, they, it is, it is all too true that Christians feel like they are. I remember talking to a, a Christian one time in, uh, in Turkey. And he said, like, why do we have to be lambs in the midst of all of the wolves? Like, that's what you've been called to. He said, I feel like, I feel like a, a moth in a spider's web. And that was his life as a Christian. And that is, that is the reality of life for many Christians, for most Christians throughout history. That, that the world seeks to devour them. And in this grand reversal, what happens? Those seeking to devour, they are in fact devoured themselves. 
That's our scripture. It is full of, full of that kind of justice. Those who seek to destroy are destroyed. Those who seek to kill are killed. Those who seek to devour are devoured themselves. And once again, we see that same parallel. You either feed upon Christ in your hearts or you fed upon the beasts of heaven. There are two kinds of people. Now I say this, all right, in this life, we do not need to pursue vengeance and make sure that justice is done. All right. We, we have God. He will satisfy all justice. He will make all things right in the end. Beyond your ability, beyond your conniving and your scheming. All right. We are free to live as lambs and as moths because we know we will not always be there. We will be the ones who are clothed in white robes. We will be the ones riding in alongside Christ. And I realize I skipped that part. So let's, let's, let's jump back a little bit. All right. Christine, can you take that up for me? Uh, the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. All right. If you put your faith in Christ, you are there. You are in the scene. We will all be there. And we will be wearing white alongside of our Savior. All right. How did you get white robes? How did you get white robes? It's actually three ways in scripture, three ways in Revelation. All right, first, because you washed your robes clean in the blood of Christ. You'll stain, blood, stain the, the robes of Christ, or you'll be washed clean by the blood of Christ. All right, but it's, there's another place where it speaks of, of getting these white linens. The martyrs who have suffered are giving, given these clothing to as they wait, as a reward for their, their perseverance and their patience and their suffering. There's a third way. We actually saw it last week that these are the righteous acts of the saints manifested. That we've been prepared in advance to walk in true righteousness and holiness all right, so notice it's, it's all three. All right, we try to pit these against each other. But no, they, they, they're all gifts in Christ. That why, why, are we, why are we in these robes alongside of Christ? Because the fullness of his grace has first taken away our sins. We are holy in Christ by his blood. All right, second, we have persevered through injustice and through suffering. He gives, he gives those robes as gifts to the lambs who have endured. But it's, it's not just then. He also, he changes us from the inside out so that we actually have works of sanctified righteousness and holiness. 
And those robes, those robes become our wedding dresses and our, our battle robes. And we see all these things just start to swirl together until we are, we are one. We are one bride. We are one warrior alongside of Christ. We are one people washed clean in all of these aspects. you have your robes on? Are you wearing your robes? Do you know that you have received them? Are you ready to ride into battle? Do you want to ride alongside of Christ? Or do you want to see him as an enemy? That takes us to our our final, final passage. This is 19 through 21. We see the destruction of the beast and its followers. Verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horses, the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who sits, who is sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. All right. We've seen those beasts. The powers of the world that seek to persecute and destroy the church. The second beast, the the false teaching, the false prophets. Who seek to deceive believers and, and trick them with false miracles into following the beast, into fearing the beast and giving their lives to him. These enemies that we fight for our, our whole lives. Lady Babylon who seeks to tempt us day in and day out. Yet in the end, in the end, what happens to them? They are thrown into the lake of fire. This is a judgment that has been reserved for the final day. It doesn't exist yet. It's not there. It's not filled. There is no hell yet until that day when the beasts are going to be the first to be thrown in. Who had such power here, who ruled with such arrogance, he'll be the first to be destroyed, never to return never to tempt or deceive or persecute or destroy the church anymore. They can never devour her. Christ has protected his bride. Christ has redeemed her and saved her. He has washed her clean and and led her in triumphal procession, in battle victory, deliverance, Do you need that? Do you need that Jesus? Do you need that day to come? It will come. He knows and he sees and he will lead us in victory.
Father, we praise you and thank you for Christ. Lord, we ask that we might know him in all fullness, in a depth of knowledge. Father, that we might rejoice to see him come. Father, if there is in us uh, any attempt at self-righteousness, it would say we're not good enough and we're, we're fearful. Lord, would you remind us that it is by faith in Christ, that it is by his work, not by our own, that we are saved. Would you remind us that that he provides the clothing and he even works the righteousness that, that reveals itself in time? Lord, would you keep us battling? Would you keep us fighting? Knowing that you are over the hill, that you're ready to ride in on the white horses, ready to destroy all evil, powerful enough to do it. And not to destroy us, but to show us your great love. Lord, we ask that you would come quickly and that you would give us all that we need to make it to that day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.